Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. We are live uh, from Blastoff Productions here in New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, I'm going to introduce you to a company committed to making the rental process easy for both renters and landlords. The company believes in access, access to great apartments and to great renters without the limitations of high move-in fees or parental co-signers. Their goal is to get renters the apartment they want without breaking the bank. We will discuss that. We have two reps from the company here with us today, and we'll get to that shortly. Also at this hour, take a step back into the stunning Blue Moon Hotel, and you are immediately transported rather into a place in history where quality and refinement meet comfort and warmth. This award-winning New York City boutique hotel has been lovingly restored by Manhattan artist and architect Randy Settembrino, who has poured his heart and soul into its transformation. I've seen it recently, and it is really, truly stunning. The Blue Moon Hotel incorporates 22 oversized luxurious lodging accommodations and suites that are fittingly named after the legends of the 1920s and 1930s, which I find really uh, very fascinating. Randy will be with us today shortly, but first I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and again, you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, live from New York. In the news this morning, according to Freddie Mac's most recent primary mortgage market survey for November 2018, U.S. mortgage rates are dropping slightly after last week's increases. Residential rents are falling due to rapid increase in rental development in 2018, the new cycle for inventory rents here, as in much of the nation, will likely maintain a trend of modernization. As 15 Hudson Yards nears full completion, related companies and Oxford Properties Group have revealed first glimpses of the residents' uh, amenities for the new residential tower. Located more than 900 feet above ground, Skytop is undeniably the crown jewel of the amenity suite and will eventually be the highest residential roof deck in New York City. The open-air roof deck will be enclosed in a 60-foot glass screen wall and include an adjacent lounge, private catering kitchen, and dining room. Samuel L. Jackson and his wife are selling their four-bedroom condo at 26 East 63rd Street in Lenox Hill on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. The uh, 3,000-square-foot unit is now listed for an even $13 million. The couple has lived in the building for the last 13 years since purchasing the 8th floor Unit back in 2005 for $4.8 million. Talk about an increase in value. Uh, this, according to the New York Post, they broke the story shortly after the property hit the market back on November 7th. So, good morning, everybody. How is everybody today? Great. Good morning. Great. All right. So, we're going to talk about the Blue Moon Hotel, and our guest today is Randy Sedenbrino. For five years, Randy, an artist, real estate broker, and entrepreneur, gathered and cleaned remnants from long-forgotten immigrants who once lived in an Orchard Street tenement. He incorporated the material into the building as he transformed the tenement into a -a one-of-a-kind boutique hotel. It was a labor of love for Mr. Sedembrino, who preserved 19th-century cast-iron stoves, marble floor tiles, homework assignments found from the 1920s, and even an ad for a $4 Babe Ruth glove at his 22-room Blue Moon Hotel. But now Mr. Sedembrino was testing whether there was a market for his passion, he has listed the quirky eight-story building for sale, hoping to find a buyer who will preserve his creation, but willing to sell, uh, but uh, willing to sell to the highest bidder. His goal to raise cash for another project combining art and real estate. I am an artist, and I have to create. He says, "I don't like to be stagnant. I get hungry to do other projects." Randy, good morning, and thank you for calling in this morning. Thank you, thank you for having me, Vince. How are and, you? Uh, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well, listen, it's all you, my friend. Uh, so let's get at it. You once sold menswear in a storefront in what is now the hotel's lobby. This, according to my research last week, I was kind of surprised at that because I don't remember you telling me that when we met. Tell us a little bit about okay. what you sold in the, in a, was it a, a store in the tenement building before it became the hotel? Well, I had businesses. I, um, I designed and I manufactured small productions and uh, we had a very loyal clientele and, and most of my life was spent on Orchard. Um, I ran these stores and the opportunity came up to buy um, uh, half of a building. It was tenants in common 
Um, and I initially bought it to house my pre-existing uh, Italian menswear store. Correct. You bought, you you purchased uh, the building. It says in two phases: one in ninety-seven and one in two thousand for a total of one point two four million dollars. So, what was your thought when you purchased the first half of the building and you had your store in, I guess, whatever side that was, maybe the right the right side of the building? Did you intend well, fully to create a hotel uh, as it stands today? Well, initially, I was uh, content to uh, run my business, and uh, that was a creative process, and it was a lot, and it was done more, and it wasn't done from the bean counting side. It was done like I do everything from the creative and artistic side. Um, the location was the prime location. It's the 57th and 5th of the Lower East Side, orchard between Broome and Delancey. I didn't want to be anywhere else, and um, I thought eventually the other side would come up, and um, we'd see what uh, we'd see the highest and best use for the building. Uh, Tell us the a other bit, half. Though. Go ahead. Go ahead. The other half, uh, I had to wrangle, and um, initially I paid a quarter of a million for the first half, and the second half, I had to wrangle for a million to get the other half, and um, then. I thought about, I have this eight-story building. What can I envision here? And um, it came to me that I would like to create um, a memorial to the Lower East Side and have something that would reflect um, the uh, the tenement life in a way that you could come in and have the experience of entering a tenement, but it would be... um, have a second soul and a second life as a stately hotel simultaneously. You know, and uh, so I, um, tell us though what I, you thought the, the neighborhood. Half, I started on the project. Hmm? Tell us what you thought the neighborhood was going to be like. Everybody kind of has sort of a, a vision and a projection as they go into a neighborhood to develop something or to build something. And we know, uh, as New Yorkers here, uh, all of our neighborhoods have changed dramatically from you know going back to the sixties, seventies even as late as the 80s. So what did you see Orchard Street becoming when you made the purchase back in, well, say, 97 and 2000? What What was your vision of Orchard Street uh, for the well, future? I, under- back then? I, I could see the direction it was going because um, the Orchard Street was a place of business for over 100 years, and people would come from all around the world to shop there, and it was some of the best merchants in the city and uh, every kind of venue you could imagine. And... So at that time, I saw uh, all the neighborhoods that were much worse, <laughs> Thompson Park and, and the East Village, were gentrifying at 90 miles an hour. And um, that was the heart of the historical district where I was. And um, I thought that um, this will be um, the hub of the whole entire Lower East Side. You were sitting between... Um, East Village, and uh, you have uh, the uh, South Street Seaport, and you have Soho, and now you have NoHo, and so um, everything would come to the center, and that's how it pretty much worked. Everything around it was developed, and then it came to the center, and the Lower East Side is the last um, place in New York City where you have a sense of the of an old neighborhood type of area. It's more like it was when I was there more, uh, growing up on the Lower East, uh, spending a lot of time on the Lower East Side, more like a backdrop from MGM than any other place in New York. Well, City. actually, you know what? That's a, it's a very good uh, analogy because I still sometimes think about that. Oh, I actually think the same as you when I'm down there because I think it is a backdrop. I still think it stands out. It's a part of town. I think Orchard Street is just incredible and amazing. And to say, to, um, uh, go back on what you said a little while ago. It still does have those some of the greatest retail, I think, in all of the city. But let's go back in history, and especially from your artistic point of view. While you were figuring out what you wanted to do with this building, you inside you found a ghost town of objects from stone fireplace mantles, the ancient you know appliances, woodwork, and even a Boy Scout membership card from May 1922. You you know you what was going through your mind? You found homework that kids had in their apartments back to the 20s. What did you immediately think you could do with these artifacts or these findings as you were going to further develop that building? 
Well, there were two things going on simultaneously. I initially had uh, my own staff when we got to the building, and I had to bring people in for infrastructure um, and to do the exterior. Uh, <clears throat> we ran stale through the building. We uh, ran cement. We broke through the bell-shaped uh, tenement air shaft to create uh, nine floors of uh, elevator pit below grade and eight stories above. Um, we had uh, cut the fire escapes and pulled them back to give them a European balcony look. We cleaned the brick. We sent out to Missouri to find pieces to put together the upper corners. We had carpenters, artisans recreate the lower corners and uh, pieced it together from uh, parts of the uh, lower facade that were in the basement, including a rickety door that was used to hold up the staircase. But when we put the puzzle together, that was the center between the two buildings. And we filled whatever lights were missing with uh, English, with imported glass from England. When I got into the, as we were gutting the building, we found I was like um, the guardian of the effects that were left in the building. So any time there were bottles, and there were dozens and dozens of bottles, we, I, I had them haul them to the side, books filled with beautiful images uh, from 1895 to 1912 um, that I cleaned, cataloged, and then curated on the first six stories of the hotel. I found newspapers, Giants, uh, Ralph Robbins, uh, 11 to 2, um, Six Die in Hold Up uh, in Brooklyn, and all kinds of um, things that just transported you in time. So from those personal effects, including the Boy Scout card that you mentioned, and personal letters, and the boys' homework, I created 14 themed collages. I was going to ask and, you what you um, did before we go to break. You put the homework in a frame because I saw a lot of stuff when I was down there that day. Very fascinating. Right. Was that one of the things right. I saw in a frame on the wall? Right. So that was, um, there was a, a frame catalog about boys, and it had the Babe Ruth right. glove. It had the um, <clears throat> boys' homework from 1936. Right. Um, a beautiful... Um, cowboy on a buffalo hunt from the New York Sun from 1926. By the way, there was nothing older than 1936 in the building. And right, a Randy, lot we're of gonna this history... Randy, Randy we've got to take okay. a break. We're going to yes. come back after the break. Sure. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to Randy Sanambrino, the owner of the Blue Moon uh, Hotel at 100 Orchard Street uh, down in the East Village. So, Randy, um, you restored the building inside and out, uncovering some cast iron and wooden pillars and hand carvings, uh, etc. I remember when, when you were showing me the hotel a while back, some of the balconies are amazing. Some of the room sizes, people don't really realize that these were apartments. And so you've got one room, I think, that's 700 and something square feet. Others are in right. the six and 500 range. Tell us a little bit about the mix of the 22 rooms and also something very interesting and creative. You've named a lot of those rooms after some of the stars from the 20s and 30s. Talk a little bit about that. Right. Okay, so I respected the soul of the building. Initially, there were um, uh, 15 apartments. And what I did with those apartments is I tried to keep the form, even though I, everything was gutted. And we ran the stale through the building and put the scissors stairs and put the um, J1 Class 1 fire safety and sprinklers. And I kept those. I created a building, and then I kept all the details. And I put a skin over the uh, new structure of um, the per- of all the details and artifacts that were in the building. I had a ton of uh, woodwork, which we all brought down by hand, and we re- uh, and we used them for almost every room. Every almost all the bathrooms had an original door from the building, uh, which I completed with a full finish, and um, so. And the rooms were huge. There were apartment rooms there, 320 to 700 square feet. Two-thirds of the rooms have balconies. We custom-made thick, heavy wrought iron that was period-appropriate. And um, we needed, and we went up an additional three stories. And when we did that, we made even uh, larger suites with breathtaking views of the city. You could see... You feel like you own New York from the seventh and eighth floor. Yeah, the balconies, views are, are which, quite stunning, actually. Yeah, and some of the balconies are considerable, is almost as large as three hundred square feet, and some of the ceiling heights are twelve feet and fourteen feet high, which is also remarkable. All right, so tell us a little bit about uh, you're selling the building. Uh, it's on the market for sale. <clears throat> what are your hopes and best aspirations for anybody who would take over this place because again I think it is a masterpiece I think it is it sets itself aside from any other uh, hotel boutique kind of hotel that I've seen in the city there's a few but this one kind of stands out what what do you hope the new owner when you find a new owner uh, does with this place what are your well, I, dreams of its ideally. future well, it is already a museum block. Uh, One-third of the block is the Tenement Museum. And right. um, I would love to see the building used for a higher purpose. Um, you know, a museum would be fantastic. Um, I think um, it has an elegant facade, and that would be appropriate for um, to give dignity to any institution. Uh, we are in discussions with uh, for not uh, with a couple of non for profits as well as uh, some hotel and um, long term stay people that are interested in the building as well but um, if I have my druthers, I would love to see um, a museum twenty two galleries something that would give honor the honor and dignity um, the boom moon deserves. Let's talk a little bit about your passion for art. And again, as you walk through <clears throat> not only the lobby, but as you walk through the building, you know, Randy shows you all of the, the artifacts as he's discovered through uh, the renovation of the building that are now, you know, fixtures and walls. But talk a little bit about your art, your passion for art, where you want to take that as an individual, whether it's with a hotel, outside of the hotel. Why well, do you declare yourself mm-hmm. an artist and what do you want to do with that? My passion for art is what allowed me to create the Blue Moon. I had a vision of giving an old tenement a second life as a stately hotel. It's like taking an old lady, 
making her young and beautiful again when she wasn't even beautiful to begin with in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, without surgery, without uh, whatever. <laughs> right. You know, they say a little plaster and paint make a woman when she ain't. So, um, I did... Uh, I've I never did heard this. that one before. Never, I've yeah. never That's either. One. Little plaster <laughs> and paint makes a woman something she ain't. Okay, I'm going to remember right. that one. Pretty good. So, I... I that did, was in the depression, uh, and that's what I did. I took, I made a rendering of what I envisioned the building to be like, and I oh, painstakingly ahead. followed through, as uh, one of the articles put it, like Noah building the ark. Right. And um, you know, that's what an artist has to do. That's how Michelangelo said it, right? He said, "I, I saw the angel in the marble, and I sculpted until I set him free." And Very so that's what happened with. Mm-hmm. And that's how I went about doing it. Yeah. It was done in bits since once we got the structure up, I had a, a warehouse full of details from the original building, and I wanted to make the skin, so it was done in bits and pieces of inspiration. It was purely an art project. So and my when question, I ran the hotel, it was run like a museum because the first uh, six store, stories had the, um, these, the uh, cards, about 80 of them, and then the 14 collages. And when you saw this Americana on display, it was always an art experience. You walked away thinking about it mm. because uh, up until early in 2015 and when I ran it, everything would, you could see all these details and subtleties. And you felt, um, and it was, an ex- it was an art experience because you felt the, not only you felt the wholesomeness and the humanity of, uh, of the previous generations that were before you. Randy, let me ask you something. So, so how mm-hmm. how do you how do you let this go? So the plan is to sell it to move on. We're going to ask you next about you know what what is next for you. But with all of your passion and with all of your hard work, and it seems like there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but there's also a lot of heart into that hotel, into what you've made mm-hmm. it. How can you? How do you just walk away from that, pass the keys on to the new owner, and move on? How do you do that? Well, it's not easy, but um, the the thing is that um, it was like it was a public works project, and to do to have do this kind of thing and take five years in New York City when everyone rapes the integrity of a building and creates a white box as small as possible and getting people in there like a Tokyo dormitory um, and turning them over and over during that same five year period requires an immense amount of uh, capital, uh, an immense amount of patience and dedication and energy and blood and sweat. <laughs> so oh, that right. um, allow, that uh, put us on the uh, in a position where um, there was an immense amount of investment in one particular project, which didn't um, allow us to have the same... Um, freedom to bounce from project to project as one who does um, takes the takes a building and creates white box, uh, empty anonymous white boxes and um, it's a little sad because I would like to see that this project influences other people to be as creative and with these beautiful old buildings and see the be- see the good that lays at their feet with the and create another, and create and keep um, all the details and historical aspects of the building for uh, prosperity. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left in our segment. So my question to you is, what is next for Randy with the sale, without the sale? You know, wh- where do you go? What do you do? What are you currently doing, artistically or otherwise? What's next for you? Okay. So I was blessed to have the opportunity to bring many different aspects of myself together in the Blue Moon. Um, naturally, for me, creating is what keeps me sane in a not-so-sane world. Um, and every day is another uh, opportunity to expand and be more. And so I, I do make my efforts, you know, via the arts, theology, psychology, philosophy. And um, we I fill my life with... Uh, friends and family uh, and, and with meaning. I work continuously on um, the, with the same passion that I developed the building with on our children 
and um, we put an immense amount of um, passion, love, uh, determination to build each one of them, you know, with the same uh, integrity and um, love as we did the Blue Moon. And uh, that's, on my, that's my primary project. But the main thing right now is to see that the uh, Blue Moon finds a proper and suitor to take charge and give her give this magnificent building the respect she deserves. And um, at that juncture, I'll I'll see where we can um, find the next angel in the marble. So lots of irons in the fire, and and you don't really know until you pull one out what it is, where you're going to go, and what you're going to do. It's good to be you know uh, that available, and it's good to have that flexibility. Um, would you remain on Orchard Street, do you think? Because that is, like you say, the, the 57th and 5th of, uh, of New York City, of the Lower East Side, rather. Orchard Street in itself is quite magnificent. Would you stay there? Would you stay in the area? Would you venture into another area, another neighborhood? Well, what are your thoughts on that? You know, if, if I'm, 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 the artist has to be open, so I'm open to any opportunity where I can be creative and do something um, to transform a space. <clears throat> but uh, the, as far as Blue Moon, I don't think it could ever be duplicated, especially not in New York City. New York City. It's a unique building. That's oh, why I we agree. have hundreds and hundreds of uh, visitors on Open House New York every year. But um, I would, I'd like to, you know, I like to get in the crux of um, history, ethnicities, areas where I could find some. Um, interesting building with a lot of character like I found like I had this 1879 building and once you see the building it kind of speaks to you and it tells you what uh, what it's calling is so I'm not right. sure if it would be particularly on Orchard I you know I would think it would have to be um, there's so many there's so many interesting parts of the city as well all right, Randy Sanembrino, thank you so much for joining us this morning. The Blue Moon Hotel, 100 Orchard Street. Take a look at it. Stop by, visit. It's kind of a cool place. Randy, it was my honor to visit the place uh, a little bit ago, and thank you so much again for joining us. And we will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
Okay, everybody, we are back. We're going to talk a little bit about the rental market with Ryan Solinger and Adam Messica. Did I say that right? No, but no. Okay. <laughs> I'm using, uh, say, say it for the record, please. Say it for the record. My earplug is not working. Meshico. Meshico. Oh, there you go. Okay. So the company is called Leap, and they are committed to making the rental process easy for both renters and landlords. They believe in access, access to great apartments, as I said at the top of the show, and to great renters without the limitation of high move-in fees or uh, parental co-signers. Very big in this marketplace, especially with first-time renters, and we're going to get into that. Their goal is to set, uh, to get renters the apartment they want without breaking the bank. The Leap program, the lease program, helps landlords expand their tenant pool by delivering more qualified tenants. The service is paid for by the renter and guarantees you complete rental amount. Uh, uh, guarantees you the complete rental amount for the length of the lease upon default. They will pay the rent when it is due until the apartment is filled, uh, keeping you whole. So, guys, good morning and thank you for being here. Good morning. Good morning. How the how does one participate in uh, your programs at Leap? What is the benefit to the landlord? What is the benefit to the the eventual renter or the or the tenant? Yeah. So the the benefit to the landlord is, you know, although it's a a guarantee product which people think of default, it's really an occupancy product. It's a tool to keep them to keep occupancy at the highest amount uh, or their occupancy rate at the highest amount specifically in a time when there's a glut of inventory in the rental market, people have a lot of uh, choices, concessions are at an all-time high, and this allows them to expand their tenant pool. Landlords have been historically uh, very strict on their underwriting guidelines. A landlord should really become the lord of their land and really manage the building and manage the maintenance. Um, off, offset that underwriting and, and and risk to someone else, especially in a market uh, that's growing. The benefit to the consumer is really unprecedented access. I mean, if you ask anyone in New York how what, how it is to rent their first apartment today, excruciating, awful, like the worst experience. Um, and not if you have a good broker. <laughs> <laughs> it, could, it could still be excruciating. It, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's just not an easy experience. I mean, if you ask, if people first don't meet the qualifications and you ask about um, if they've rented rooms with, with Craigslist roommates, it is a nightmare. And most of them have horror stories. Our goal is really to eliminate that and give unprecedented access to this first-time renter, um, students that are looking to live off campus, uh, people with no U.S. credit and expats, really expand, really giving them options and making the process seamless, which is not seamless today. Who who pays for the leap lease program? I mean, who who's responsible for for paying for it for the the fees, etc. Yeah, so the fee is paid by the consumer today, and we that fee is used. Uh, the consumer to, being the renter. The renter, yeah. So the, we actually market direct to the consumer. It's free to get pre-approved for a maximum rent rent amount, just like you would pre-qual for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. You pre-qual for a maximum rent amount. Um, which is totally free to the consumer. And then once, uh, once they get pre-approved um, and they're ready to move in, they pay our fee for essentially co-signing the lease or insuring the lease. Who can apply to LEAP uh, for, for this program? First of all, what, what is the renter access program? Is that, what, is that the program that, we're yeah, talking so about? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's okay. The so who, just who, to that end, the, the way it works is that what we do is we market to these, these prospective tenants. And then we vet them, we qualify them. And if we agree to hypothetically co-sign their lease... It opens up our platform where all of our inventory were hypothetically approved, all of our landlords' partnerships. They then would shop within that platform. And then they would go to that broke that landlord's broker or their leasing office and say, Hi, I'm here with Leap. And they'd say, Okay, great, we work with Leap, you know, and they like the apartment, they pursue it. We would co sign that lease and we would insure it. So that tenant That's the key, insure it. Well, the reason that we were, were insuring it is because this person is either a student from China, this person, their money is in Boca, or it can't be put on paper, or for whatever reason, someone doesn't have a tri-state area cosigner. And we all know the qualifications here in the city are very, very stringent. And so what that does is it puts a huge amount of the, the rental population to the fringes of the rental market. And whether it be shares, subleases, uh, Craigslist, all that stuff, what we want to do is bring them to the bona fide shops like Halstead's management firm and, and their inventory or Graystar or Berzudo, whatever, so that people can live in these nice buildings and not these crummy subleases. What is the fee? 
Yeah, so the fee is typically, uh, it's always usually less than one month's rent. So it's usually between 60 and 90% of one month's rent. Um, that fee is, is, is paid as a premium. And that, that fee essentially guarantees that landlord the full term of coverage of the lease. So if they default, they leave in the middle of the night at month six, we pay the rent. Um, we are, it, it's, a, it's a little, I, I like to say we're a real estate product because that's the application here. But it's actually like this kind of weird triangle. It's a tech company or an insurance tech company because insurance is the vehicle. It's a fintech company because we actually do consumer underwriting and and underwrite the consumer and pull hard credit and things like that. All right, that's how you determine whether you're paying whether the fee is sixty to ninety percent. You got it. So depending on the risk class, we have uh, AI and auto decision that scores everyone, and that score essentially tells us okay where did they score and based on what they score, and they're not they're not always like typical underwriting scores like you would see with a typical landlord. These are very customizable scores. Everyone has different weightings, for example. A sophomore might have a different weighting than a junior. A a certain type of FICO might have a a different weighting than another type of FICO. Definitely not like that. Um, But typically, typical credit underwriting. Um, And universities as well. So once we do that um, and we score them, that, that determines the fee. What are the requirements, though, to qualify for LEAP? So basically, I'm thinking that this is pretty much for a first-time renter who doesn't have any credit, who doesn't make a lot of money, but yet, you know, enough to cover the rent, but doesn't have enough background, no co-signer. So, what, you know, what do you guys look for when someone comes to you and says, I want to live in this building, they're telling me I can't, the rent is X, I say I can afford it, etc. So, so think of LEAP as like your rich uncle, even though he's really... We're really just like an international That's what I co-signer. wanted to hear. Um, yeah. So, Vinny, you're on. Uh, there you go. It's for there Christmas. You. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so, I mean, so we underwrite. I have mac and cheese. You, so, you ask, let me get back, to the que- get back to the question. We underwrite at 27 and a half times the monthly rent, where typical landlords. 27 and a half times, got so it. Okay. Typical landlords underwrite at 40 times. So, there's a huge, that's about a third more of income requirements that we open a pool of tenants to, which is pretty significant been around? So we have been around. Uh, we started writing in New York, July. So this is our first kind of year in this space. Our, our other co-founder has been in this space for uh, a long time and worked in other specialty finance uh, businesses. Um, and we've kind of just getting started, but with over 75,000 uh, units in the portfolio now just in New York, New Jersey, and hopefully we'll double. Uh, our re- and, how, and how do you refer to brokers? Yeah, so we refer to brokers depending on um, our relationships with those brokers. Um, and we also refer to brokers if they're the listing agent, for example. Um, some some of the broker relationships we have have exclusive listings where they get all of those listings for that building. Some in the case, uh, for example, we have a, a big brokerage uptown that we work with, um, and it's a mutual be- uh, beneficial brokerage. They, they refer us information. And they refer us tenants, you know, when they have someone that they need this product for to help close a deal. And when we have someone that that comes into our platform and gets pre-approved and they need a broker, we actually send them to them. And I know that sounds crazy. A lot of people in this community, this is new for me as well, but a lot of people in this community have been like very hesitant to the fact that we're going to bring leads to brokers and to landlords and so forth. But we are. And people, I mean, the first one, people are like, wow, that's cool. The second one, they're like, wow, this is great. The third one, they're calling us and they're saying, how can we How can we join a partnership? We've actually achieved some big signatures with landlords on account of this because they wouldn't talk to us initially. And we kept saying, hey, we have someone that's interested in your building. The light bulb finally goes off and they sign And we on. market direct to the consumer. So we're taking that off the brokerage community. We're taking that off the landlords. You know, the average cost for a landlord to rent, you know, a $3,000 unit in New York City right now is over $10,000. And we go out and market, um, and that's including, you know, payment of broker fees and marketing and concessions and so forth. Um, but that's really our job. Our job is to really help the brokerage community embrace it, help you guys bring you guys leads. You guys know your market and your buildings better, much better than we do and much better than the consumer. So you guys can help them. And from a landlord perspective, you know, we can help them with occupancy. That's really what we try to do, especially in a competing market. And fee is not paid till everything is signed, sealed, and delivered. Correct. So fee is paid one, right before the lease is signed. So first, first, sometimes if we have the uh, landlord already signed up, they still run their normal process. 
So they want to make sure, you know, there's nothing that they don't like, even if we're guaranteeing it. Right. Landlords are landlords. Right. Right. Uh, correct. And once they approve, uh, we actually issue a, we, they pay our, we say, okay, we're ready to pay the fee. They pay our fee. All They sign our document, pay our fee. It's all done online. It takes five minutes. All the all of the docs are signed electronically. Fee is paid through Stripe, through credit card, and then it automatically issues a policy to the building and they can now sign the lease. Simple process. So, so quick question. So just like on the buy side, you get pre-approved for a mortgage so you can go out and search for an apartment and you can feel kind of secure that when you find the right property, you're pre-approved and you're going to just go forward. Can you get pre-approved for your uh, renter situation at LEAP before you actually find an apartment or is it just really property-based? Yeah, so um, it is fully, you can get pre-approved without any apartment in mind. In fact, uh, about 50% of the people who come into come into LEAP to get, pre, to get pre-approved actually don't have an apartment in mind and don't have a broker. Got it. So well, they, that's, they, that's, they, that's good. That's they, good. So they, they know that they have an issue, whether it be a credit issue or they know it's going to be hard because they're an international grad student and they have no U.S. credit or they've been warned as an expat coming here to work for a bank and they know they're going to need that. So these people know that they're going to need a guarantor service. There's not many type, there are not many types of products in this, in this space. We are the cheapest product in the space and we are the fastest product in the space. The biggest challenge we have is... We give a decision in 30 minutes. The biggest challenge that we have isn't getting the brokerage, isn't getting the brokerage community or the consumers to recognize the need for this product. It's really trying to explain to the landlord who's been sitting on a portfolio for three generations, why, why, why would they talk to us? Well, tech is disrupting, as you guys know, real estate and other, other aspects and so I think that it's very slow for them to recognize how much it's, it's impacting their space. And what we're seeing right now is concessions were up 28% of the rental deals last October were, uh, were, had rental concessions. This October, it was 40, 41% of rental transactions had, had, had uh, concessions. Hal Gavsey, the man- managing director of uh, leasing at Element, said that the rampant concessions are here to stay. And they're not going away. I mean, look at the building that's going on. It's it's no longer about, you know, we look at this younger generation. Um, this younger generation really cares about where they live. It's no longer, hey, I just moved to New York. Oh, I can't wait to be able to afford to live in the West Village. That doesn't exist anymore. People are really looking at what the amenities are, what the experience is. I mean, we, we heard earlier talk about amenities, uh, about this, uh, about the related properties and how much money they're spending on those amenities. It's becoming just as important as the shoes that you wear or the handbags that are on your shoulder. Where you live and your New York address has always been kind of this very prestigious product. Or it's your this, calling card. Yeah, it's your mm-hmm. calling card. So when I say, and if, you, and, if you go, and if you go out to a bar anywhere and you just look at some of the younger folks interact and you say, it's always three questions. What's your name is the first question. The second question is always, what do you do? And the third question is, where do you live? Where do you live? And based on where you live... It sounds like a real estate broker. I think so. <laughs> location, location, location. But ba- based, on where, based on where you live is going to decide whether or not that decision is going to continue or not. All right, guys, we've got to leave it there and take a break. Uh, Adam uh, and Ryan are going to stay with us. We are back with the panel on Hot Topics right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters. Performing at the top of their game, each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with the panel, and Jordan Shea is here from Douglas Elliman, Sean Atterbury from Core. Elise Ehrlich from Halstead Real Estate and Tracy Hammersley from Surprise. Douglas Element. Surprise! <laughs> I don't know where I was last I week. Bless from the past. I don't know where I was last week, but I completely fouled up the whole Sorry. thing. Yeah, I saw you walking in. I'm like, uh oh. Did you drink your coffee this morning? I was like, yeek. Six cups. No, me, me. Anyway, moving on. Recently, multiple headlines have been written asserting that home ownership is less affordable today than at any other time in the last decade. Though the headlines are accurate, they lack context context and lead too many Americans to believe that they can't partake in a major part of the American dream owning a home, or in your case, guys, renting a great apartment. In 2008, the housing market crashed and home values fell by as much as 60% in certain markets. This was the major trigger to the Great Recession we experienced from 2008 until 2010, two long years. To come back from that recession, mortgage interest rates are pushed down to levels that were never seen before. For the last 10 years, you could purchase a home at a dramatically discounted price and attain a mortgage at historically low rates. Seriously, I mean, I have never, and I've said this on this program before, my first mortgage was at 17 or 18%, and I thought, wow. I remember saying to my dad, what do you think about that? He said, that's a good deal. I remember 24%. 17 or 18%, 24 there you have it. So now when you're talking historical lows in, in the threes and the fours and even today, Racing, you know, getting right there close to the top of five, still very good. My question is, with all of that history, where are we now? Price-wise, buyer-wise, mortgage interest rate-wise, what's happening in the fourth quarter of this year? There's still a lot of opportunity out there. Rates are under 5%. Prices are coming down. There's a huge adjustment. Uh, There's value. It's a buyer's market. And I think people are still afraid to take advantage of it, but prices are down. And are prices down, though, as, you know, is this one of the factors that's, that's bringing the prices down a little bit? Uh, you know, higher, typically, you know, prices drop a little bit. Correct. But what are, what are but more importantly, though, what, are, what, are, what is the perception out there of the buyer pool? So what Elise says is correct. It's a buyer's market. Value is there. Value is strong in a lot of cases. Prices have come down. Prices, in some cases, need to come down a little more. But for the most part, I think we are at a value proposition that makes better sense for buyers to purchase today than ever before. However, we're not seeing such a robust, you know, race out of the gate to buy a piece of property because if I don't, I'm going to, you know, pay more in, in the future. What, where are we, where, where is their head today? I see a lot of buyers fence that they still don't believe at the bottom and I don't have my real estate well, but I can in good conscience say, yes, things aren't going to continue to go lower. It all depends. It's, you know, Econ 101, greater supply than demand. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to be the one that buys, and then it goes that much lower. But, 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 I mean, how much lower? I think that's the case. We have some people. I mean, I think I see two sets. Of see the know-it-all buyer who is the prognosticator who's going to tell me market's going to go down. I'm going to wait another year. I know better than you. 
I'm willing to lose my dream home over 5%. Literally, 5%, $50,000. I had somebody walk away. But then you have the person who's grateful to be participating in this market who doesn't know everything and says, if I fall in love, I'll buy it. And it doesn't matter to them if it goes down another five points. They're not penny pinching. And if they wait that other year, though, will rates go up a little bit more and then it's becomes more of a wash exactly. yeah. you know it becomes mm-hmm. out of wash well one I mean, of the things i've been i've been noticing and and you all help me out because you're out in the, there in the field as much as i am and probably more so <clears> but <throat> what i'm finding is people are of the mindset today that they want to steal everything they want to steal this property they want everything to be at a complete real bargain basement price and as i keep trying to uh, advise or coach my buyers this is not about stealing for the most part, uh, the market has corrected. Are we going to go down more? I don't know. It could potentially go down more, but we're talking, you know, maybe another 10%. That is not stealing. Today, you have to understand more importantly, I think, and I'm preaching to the choir probably for any buyers out there anywhere in the nation, um, it's about value. It's not only about what the purchase price is. What goes down today always comes up tomorrow. And in our case here in New York City, we go flying through the ozone when we're in a hot marketplace, and so you you make up for all of what you think you've lost on the buy side today. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I see it. I've been you're a buyer in those right. markets many times. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And you're still paying rent to yourself, which despite the different changes with tax reform, et cetera, <clears> you still are, I think, coming out ahead on that front, too, with the tax deductions. And um, just building value, having an asset that you can borrow against in the future, it's still all the reasons why home ownership makes sense from the beginning. I do want to say very quickly, this is obviously a, a whole nother show, but I had the pleasure of being in Long Island City with buyers all weekend. That is a completely different market. The lobbies were full. We couldn't all fit in the elevator. The studio and one bedroom inventory, some of the buildings has been taken off the market to be repriced because of the Amazon I sold my Isn't first apartment in Long Island City for the first time this year, ever, ever, ever. I have never sold out there. didn't even understand the marketplace out there. But now, after last week's announcement with Amazon moving uh, to that location, I didn't think that stuff would start happening so quickly. But from what I'm hearing, it's the been The demand is greater than the supply. It's a different was, market out there. Yeah. I was at a $2 million little home in Forest Hills Gardens. They had about 40 people. You could barely move into the house. On Saturday. Really? On Saturday? Forest Hills Gardens. Yeah, I mean, it's changing, right? I mean, I think you're starting to see Long Island City. I mean, you're starting to see real players come out, right? Um, I think the biggest thing was even before the Amazon announcement uh, last month with Carlisle making the investment in one QPS. (laughs) um, Very big deal. I mean, you have investment grade real estate holder making a bet on Long Island City. You have other... Large, you have other large global REITs that are really starting to partake in these family-run New York buildings that has been built up in Long Island City, and you're starting to see that across, you know, many different areas. We saw that in Brooklyn for a long time. You saw that downtown Brooklyn. You're starting to see that already, you know, uh, moving into the Bronx. I mean, we're we're really starting to see that happening. Right on that note, it's always a, a volatile market. It's always a moving market. In 17 years, I'm in this business. I mean, it's like I just don't even know where to begin. Sometimes, anyway, we're out of time. Unfortunately, that's it for me today. That's our show. Thanks to the guests and my panelists. Always shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars and smile in the mirror and do that every morning, and you'll see what a big difference. It'll make in your life. Thank you, Yoko Ono, for that. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 